I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 37, making our way, almost having our, our first mid early mid-age crisis. Is that what they call yeah. it? Um, so welcome in, Mr. LaCour. Yeah, great to be here. 37 episodes and going strong. Going strong. I am James Hahn II from TribeRocket.com. If you've never heard of us or not sure what we do, we are a sales-driven marketing company. So we we have a, a sponsor we can't talk about right now. Um, we actually have better than a sponsor. We actually sold out all of our um, underwriting sponsors for all of 2016, and it's not even 2016 yet. Yes, Yes. So thank you for everyone who continues to tune in because that would not happen without you. But I am working with that with that first uh, with that first company right now, putting together a white paper with them. And I guess you all will be able to decide how good or bad I did on that. But our first step is let's talk to the sales team so we can make something that that addresses the actual frontline issues that people really care about that are being asked every day. So that's kind of our marketing angle. And then Mark LaCour, he's not he's not quite the marketer, although he's he's become a pretty damn good one. Um <laughs> tell me what help. you do, Mark. Yeah, it's a Mark LaCour with modalpoint.com. We are an oil and gas market research company. We basically figure out who in the oil and gas industry would buy your stuff and why would the heck would they buy it? Right. Exactly. And then I put together the message to sell that damn thing. Um, hey James, what? let's go back to the sponsorships because I don't want people to think that if they want to sponsor their show that, that they're out of luck. We still have a couple of sponsorship um, opportunities left open, right? Yes, we have supporting sponsorships available um, for the whole year, actually. So we've got the underwriting taken care of, but we have two supporting sponsorships available, and it's on a quarterly basis, and, and it's with a 30-day out, so no matter how long you go for, uh, Mark and I never want to be in a position where someone's forced to pay us. And we don't ever want to be in a position where we don't want to work with you anymore. (laughs) We still have to. Yeah. So if you and your companies uh, touch the oil and gas industry and you want to drive some uh, results, especially in this low crude price market, reach out to James and I and let us talk. Yeah. So um, all of the contact information and everything is at tribracket.com forward slash TW37 on this episode. Before we press record, I was telling Mark, I, I was seeing that I did not do the proper TW uh, number for a lot of the shows. So any apologies to anyone who ended up on my site and got a 404 error being kicked into This is Sparta. Um, but th- uh, I'm correcting all of those. And let's start off, Mark. You had a couple of things you were wrong about as well. Yeah, it's just my luck. You know, we don't have a crystal ball. We call it like we see it based upon our experience. But it's interesting. I got two things wrong in the same day. So Yahtzee. Yeah. So in our previous show, I talked about what I thought was going to happen with Keystone, that the current administration was going to wait till the very end of the administration, approve it so they could get the, the they could claim the benefits of all the jobs created. Well, President Obama uh, shot down Keystone, so I was wrong about that. The other one I was wrong about is I was looking at the numbers, and Chevron has not laid off as many people as they should have as far as um, their, their balance sheet. And unfortunately for our brothers and sisters who work at Chevron, that same Friday that um, – after when the show was there, Chevron announced some major layoffs. And we had nothing to do with that. No, we had, of course, we had nothing to do with that. We don't like to see anything laid off. Um, but it was two things that I called that I was wrong on. But I did send you the link. It's not in the show notes. Uh, maybe we should add it. Uh, one of the Seeking Alpha guys just completely stealing your shell take. 
I'm telling you, it's <laughs> when you read a lot of this stuff as analysts, it's like they have to be listening to it. It was two it was two weeks ago. You were talking about Shell and and you know, this whole issue about laying people off. And sure enough, here comes the dude on Seeking Alpha basically writing a blog about your analysis. I'm just saying, I don't know if you listen to the show, but Yeah, it's um they should pay us at least, don't you think? Yeah, well let's get let's get him on the phone. <laughs> um well but but to go ahead and in and, and, and back things up to what you did get right, I posted this in the LinkedIn group last night, which is tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. You can you can go and join. I'm seeing a lot of rumblings around the interwebs, a lot of memes going around about Warren Buffett and his puppet mastery over Obama and delaying the Keystone XL. And Mark can tell you, Mark, I floated this conspiracy theory to you, what, three or four months ago? Right. And what was your response? There's no way it can be true. <laughs> it just it can't but, be. But but how do we know that it's not true? Because that was the, that that's what blew the you know blew the doors off of my analysis. Is well, James, he gets money out of the Bakken. Keystone is about taking oil sands to Gulf Coast refineries. So unless he's making money doing that, then your 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 theory here isn't really holding any water. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's that's very true. When you look at the business, it makes absolutely no sense. There is no benefit for Warren Buffett in this. Right. So you got that right. <laughs> and and let's start off with a disclaimer because this is our big Q3 2015 roundup. Earnings reports are in across the board. And I'm I'm just here. I'm just the good looks on the show. So I'm all, all, always throwing the, the things over to Mark for analysis. Of course, maybe Siri could do a better job than I could. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listen to the last show, you'll get it. Um, but Having said that, huge disclaimer across everything we're going to say here, neither Mark nor myself are stock analysts and nothing we say has any bearing on what you should or should not do with your money in the market. Fair yeah. enough? Fair enough. All right, cool. Let's kick it off. Exxon's Q. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to go upstream, midstream, downstream. Obviously, we have to start with some companies that are really integrated. So let's let's go with Forbes. Exxon's Q3 earnings rise despite lower crude oil prices. Obviously, we know why the despite, but go ahead. Yeah, so this is, this is a really well researched article with a lot of good numbers in it. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Exxon's. I've been calling the low the the downstream rising profits since before uh, May of 2014, um, and that's exactly what this article is. Basically, Exxon upstream part of the house took a hit. Their downstream side of the house is growing like crazy. In fact, if you read all the way through the article, you'll see where year over year, their downstream earnings have their profits have grown a hundred percent. What? That is crazy, crazy. Yeah, I see. I'm going to read it right here. Exxon's third quarter international downstream earnings increased by more than a hundred percent year on year. So, folks out there that are screaming doom and gloom. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, and how the oil and gas industry is suffering, it's not true. The only part of the industry suffering is upstream and the service companies that touch upstream. The downstream guys are loving this cheap crude natural gas, and they're growing like crazy. So there's a lot of business to be done there. You just have to point your machine at downstream and understand that segment of the market. And it not only has to do with white-collar jobs in the financial analysis positions. I'm part of a lot of Facebook groups, oil-filled families being one of them. And I threw in there, I sent you what I wrote. You know, a lot of them are, you know, we pray for, and, and obviously I pray for everyone. I don't want to downplay what oil field families are going through. And, no, and I want them to be able to have their horizon expanded just like you did for me saying, well, 
that's one part of the industry. And there are so many jobs available in downstream right now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's skilled craft labor is a huge shortage. If you can weld, if you can stick metal together, you can make, get a start and salary a hundred grand a year in downstream right now. You're in the U S and, and there's not, there's more jobs than there are people to fill them. But James, listen, before we go down that road, let's go back to Exxon just a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, let's do it. One of the things that was really good in here that they brought out and something for our viewers to remember is Exxon. Listeners. listeners our ex, did I say viewers again? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to eventually have to shoot some videos just so I can be right about that. Um, <laughs> Exxon is predominantly a liquids company, not a gas company. And liquids, even this low crude price. What do market, you mean by liquids? So liquids are uh, crude oil, um, um, distillate, um, anything that you could pour in a cup. Gas is anything you would stick in a balloon. Make sense? Got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, natural gas liquids, crude oil, um, synthetic oil, um, bitumen, all that stuff is liquids and it's more profitable. So even this low crude price environment, since Exxon's can't uh, concentrate on the liquid side of its business, its um, profitability is actually pretty good. Even in this, you know, 50 some odd dollar crude price we're in right now. So, you know, once again, it's just showing how Exxon's a big old ship that makes smart long-term decisions because the, their ability to concentrate on liquids right now has everything to do with the projects that they kicked off 10 years ago. I love it. Long, yep. long-term think strategy. Don't, don't chase the oil price because it's going to change, you know, chase a good strategy that builds your business over time. Royal Dutch Shell in Seeking Alpha, how'd they fare? So they're doing okay. Shell is doing something very interesting. I'm watching them do. So basically, they're going through their business, and they're taking the fact that they they acquired um, um, British Gas, BG, and they're going through their business and basically cleaning up, right? This process doesn't work anymore. This group- Kind of reinventing out. things a little bit. Yeah, right, which coincides with my guess that Shell has turned itself into a gas company. It's a different, different strategy than Exxon's. Um, so, so their stock is doing okay, not great, but I think they're positioned themselves to have a killer 2016. So it talks about big write downs. What do they write down? So they have different parts of their, their portfolio, whether that's terminals or tanker lines or, or whatever. And, and they literally either unload them, right. Or they devalue them. They write them down. But, but the reason that you do that is so that your stock price actually reflects what's the reality of going on so that you can position yourself for growth in the future. That's, that's incredible because a lot of people would, would not opt for that strategy, right? A lot of people would be like, Oh, everything's going great. Let's just tell you how great it is while, you know, everything is falling apart behind the scenes. Yeah. And I know shell. Well, I've known them for a long time. Um, nothing against my my friends that work at Shell, but Shell is a bit of a complex organization, and this process they're going through should make things much simpler. Which you remember, you know, we talked about operational excellence in the, a while back. This is one of the steps you would take uh, for a company as big as Shell when you start it to implement operational excellence. So, what is practically speaking, what is one of those things that they've done? Um, so, so they they actually took some pieces of their business which were not core, some some basic terminals and stuff they owned, and they just sold them. Just got rid of it. It's like, it's not our core business. We're not good at it. Let's just get rid of it. Salute to Jack Welch at GE. Yep. Salute. All right, moving on to BP. What about them? How'd they do? BP's not doing too well, right? Their <laughs> right. downstream earnings have bolstered their upstream, but BP just came out of the whole Macondo disaster, which killed them financially, right? Especially from, from a cash point of view. And so they're, they're at the very end of having to basically sell 
valuable parts of their business to pay for all their legal fees. Um, so um, they, they're trying to hang on to their really top quality assets globally. But uh, here in the Gulf Coast, uh, they've sold a lot of assets for penny, uh, pennies on the dollar to Chevron. And Chevron, being the master uh, uh, who is coming up that, that, that it is, is taking this time to really take advantage of their cash flow. Chevron has a lot of cash. They're cash heavy. So on the uh, assets in the Gulf of Mexico that BP wouldn't sell them, she Chevron negotiated deals to be the operator there. So even though it's going to be a BP field, Chevron's going to be the operator. Right? So, you know, smart move by Chevron. Uh, BP really doesn't have very many places to go. This is the model they have to follow. Um, they have to be real careful to make sure they keep their stock value high or they're prime for acquisition. Um, where do you stand I, on that, by the way? I was going to jump in anytime. Where do you stand on the BP? Because I know you've been calling a BP acquisition for quite a while. Yeah, I still think I think BP, I think I think it's Exxon, but I think somebody is going to and not acquire all of BP because that would be a mess and the regulators wouldn't let it go through. But I think somebody's going to approach BP with a large checkbook and say, we want all these assets in these operator operation zones and buy it. And then BP will come out with a lot of cash, but a much smaller and much different company. May, they may end up just being a refining company, right? Or, or maybe in the U.S., just a pipeline company or something. Just I still think it's just got the company, basically. Not gut it, but if, if you're Exxon, you have all this cash and you're, one of your competitors, BP, has some you know prime leases in the Gulf of Mexico that you know they can't execute on, why not buy their entire Gulf of Mexico portfolio, in which case BP is no longer operating in the Gulf of Mexico. BP needs the money. And we already hit on it with downstream, but that is the one silver lining in this BP report. from Yeah, BP has some downstream um, operations, which is helping them like it's helping everybody in downstream. All right. We, I just said they're up next. So on deck, Chevron. Yeah. So even though Chevron's a super major and they have some downstream operations, Chevron realistically is an upstream company. That's where most of their expertise, it's where most of their footprint is globally. It's where most of their business is. So because of that, um, they're, they're, they're not doing great. They're, they're doing okay. And they actually pulled off a very good third quarter. I'm not so sure they're going to be able to pull it off uh, for the next quarter. Um, How much would you say then is is because I I think of Chevron more as an integrated company, but you're saying they're more upstream. So are, yeah, are they 70, really seventy percent heavy upstream? Yeah, 70, 70, 80 percent of their their revenue is upstream revenue. So they got to do something about that. No, what they're doing is, and you know, it's one of the things I talked about earlier. I was wrong about it. they they hadn't laid people off like they should have. When you look at it from a, a shareholder value point of view, and my my theory on that was that Chevron thought the price of crude was to come back quick, relatively quick, and so they knew that that if they hanged on to their people, when the price of crude came back, they would have a competitive advantage compared to their competitors that laid people off, because talent is still a constraint in this industry, no matter what's going on. But from it, a long term perspective, though, is that something they should look at? It's something they're going to struggle with. So they they've laid people off to control their costs to cut costs. And Chevron's actually done pretty good this year in this low crude price environment, reducing cost. But when the price of crude comes back, and I think it's going to come back with a bang, and I think it's going to come back next year. But whenever let's qualify it does, the bang though, because we're not talking 120. No, 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 no. It won't ever get there again. When I say a bang, I think I, I don't think we're going to have like six months of 50, six months of 60, six months of 65. I think we're going to go from 50 to 70, like almost overnight. At $70 a barrel, Chevron has to get out there and start doing what it's good at. And I think they're going to struggle with the layoffs they just they, they, they went through. Then they're going to have to, what, reacquire a bunch of talent? Yeah, and and it's good, and the, because the market's going to be hot and heavy and upstream, you're not going to be able to find that talent. Talent, the constraint of talent will be a major business driver in 2016. 
And that's that's one of the hard parts about being a public company, right? Because if it was a private company, it wouldn't matter. You could just be like, yeah, we're going to ride this out. But you it, being public, you got to care about your shareholder value and you got to you got to keep that stock price up. So you got to do what you got to do. Yep, you're spot on. You're exactly right. The the public companies have their hands tied in some ways uh, compared to private companies, especially in the oil and gas market. All right, let's move to midstream. Kinder Morgan Let's this this is where this is the rest of the show is just going to be the celebration of the rest of the industry <laughs> because because damn it it's doing very well so Kinder Morgan let's talk about it uh they're printing money <laughs> <laughs> they're plating the pipelines in gold and just whatever um you know let me tell you about Kinder Morgan I know I, I actually know Rich give us a, give us a rundown on Kinder Morgan for anybody who hasn't heard of Kinder Morgan before. Uh, I can't remember where they rank anymore. They're one of the largest pipeline companies in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're number one. I think they're number two. Uh, but anyway, they're in the top five pipeline companies in the world. And Rich Kinder, even though it's a public company, owns the majority of shares. And his competitive differentiator is that entire company can do more with a dollar than anybody else out there. They're they're fantastic controlling their expenses. They make extremely smart investments. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it's paid off for them year after year after year. Well, they're actually growing now because there's a, a bigger need for for pipeline for midstream in the U.S. for a bunch of reasons, and so they're making some very smart decisions. Um, they've managed to cut their costs while improving um, profits and cash flow. So, you know, just doing a great job over there. So, when it says total revenue for the quarter decreased thirteen point six year over year, but then it follows up by talking about the increase in dividend. How does that happen? Well, so basically, if you own shares in Kinder Morgan, there's a financial formula in place and you get paid a dividend uh, either every quarter, every year. So one of the benefits as a shareholder of Kinder Morgan is you get to share in that profit. It's not just the value of the stock that you hold in your hand, but you know you get one, you get 0.0001% of whatever profit divided by how, how many shares you have. So you know it's nice as a shareholder to actually get some money every quarter because your company's doing well. They're on their way to meet a dividend target of two dollars per share for 2015. Right. So if you had 100 shares, you'd make 200 bucks. Damn it! I got to turn that thing off. Sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Next episode. So can you say that again? If you have 100 shares, you made 200 bucks. Make 200 bucks. Yeah. I mean, you literally they send you a check for 200 dollars each quarter. All right. More good news from Plains All American Pipeline LP. Uh, take the last story and just play it to Plains. Uh, Plains is a, a pipeline company, nowhere near as big as Kinder Morgan, but they're a big pipeline company. Um, they're doing very well. Uh, once again, um, their margins are up. They're controlling their costs. They're growing. Um, so they're they're doing they're doing well, like most or all of midstream is in the U.S. right now. Give me some specifics on what they're doing. Um, so th- they've made some very shrewd acquisitions of some smaller pipeline companies um, that gave them reach where they didn't have reach before and also allowed them to have uh, um, transport without constraints as compared to some of their competitors. Um, you know, um, when you look at the pipeline companies, um, and if you look at a map of the U.S., the goal right now is to get wherever, everywhere there's fracking, think North Dakota, Pennsylvania, West Texas, wherever, to get those crudes to the Gulf Coast to be refined. And the best way to do that is pipeline. And unfortunately, those pipelines don't exist. So um, one of the things they've done is they've actually made some really good acquisitions. So instead of having to take the time to build pipe, they actually just bought somebody and now they have that transport ready. I want to talk about that for a second because one of the one of the stories I came across this week talking to a client actually was some some new regulations around uh, flaring in the Eagle for, or I'm sorry, in the Bakken. And we know, of course, it's a big problem because they don't have they don't have the ability to pipeline the gas out of there. Right. How far away are we on things like that? 
Um, so, so you look at companies like uh, Enbridge, which I don't think we cover in here. Um, but no, Enbridge. Poor. So uh, this is the state of, and I'm not going to go down the poli- politics route, but let me just tell you the state of how politics are affecting business in the U.S. Enbridge has a bunch of areas where they want to build pipeline to grab that flare gas that's being flared out and put it in their system and market. They got approval in a bunch of states to get it done, and some of those pipelines that would have present, prevented that flaring were expected to come on this year, the very end of 2015. Well, then the environmentalists got involved, and they slowed things down. Welcome in, environmentalists. Yeah, and so now um, Enbridge can't go get this gas and put it in the system. Instead, it's just being flared off. That doesn't help the environment, you know. And it, and Enbridge is is having to learn things like social media because social media the environments are so rampant on there. That, and Enbridge has ne- doesn't even know didn't even know what social media was until all these protesters start showing up. Sounds like they need to talk with Tribe Rock. Sounds like they do need to talk to Tribe Rock. <laughs> yep. All right. So, in anybody, so I can show off my mad skills with the dictionary reading here, who reads through the the show notes, which are linked at triberocket.com forward slash tw twenty or sorry thirty seven. So if you want to read all of these financial for um, sorry earnings reports that we're that we're going off of, you're going to see a, a term a lot, EBITDA. It's an acronym meaning earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So if you see that and you're wondering what that means, that's what EBITDA is. All right, so we're going to move on to Magellan midstream, smaller, smaller, much smaller than even Plains or, or, yeah. or Kinder Morgan, but more of the same, right? Yeah, they're they're doing really good. Um, I think last year they did like right at $200 million and this year they're at $251 million. So they grew their income by $50 million. That's substantial. Whoa, whoa, to- say that again. <laughs> okay. So I think last year, um, their income was, I think at $200 million and this year, uh, their income was $250 million. Well, when you do, when you're a $200 million, your company and you grow your income by $50, 50. million, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's huge growth. Um, um, now they're a pipeline company, but they also have a refined product segment, which a lot of pipeline companies don't, that business is doing really well with them. Um, and then the volume of stuff they're moving through your pipe is, is gone through the roof They're in some of their pipelines they are way over capacity. Um, but it, it, the reason for that is the low price of refined products, low price of gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, whatever. Well, people are buying more of it, which means you have to move more of it. So th- and, do they just raise the rates? And by the way, so for anybody who doesn't understand the midstream market, because I certainly did did not in the beginning, these are basically people who own highways and you pay them a fee to travel on their highway. Yeah, it's it's transport. It's all it is, right? And what happens, so you ask me if they raise their rates. No, because they what they do is they sign these long-term contracts. Um and so they, they can't just raise their rates. The, the long-term contract helps them fund the pipeline to begin. So they, there's, there's a reason they do that. Their business is, is different than almost any other model in the oil and gas industry. Um, but they're, you know, they're doing really well and they're growing, um, and, you know, growing income, which means they're increasing the number of people they're hiring, just spreads prosperity. It's just good stuff. Distributed, distributable cash flow was $230 million for the first uh, for the third quarter, representing a $47 million <laughs> increase for the third, How, f- from the third quarter of last year. $2 million in cash flow. That's so crazy. I wonder if they're hiring. Probably not. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? They can't hire quick enough. Go get the job, people. If you work, if you're an oil field dad, go go knock on their door. They're definitely hiring. All right, let's, let's go a little bit more downstream. No, we're still midstream. Uh, Tesoro Corporation. Well, you're both. Yeah, <laughs> right. Tesoro has refineries on the West Coast, and they operate a lot of pipe. 
Um, so uh, Tesoro is doing well, even though they have refineries in California, which if you're a refinery, you're a refiner, you don't really want a refinery in California. Um, but, um, you know, once again, they're having record growth. Um, their, their cash flow is great. Um, they, they're investing a lot of money back into their own infrastructure. Um, their refining business is, is through the freaking roof. Um, you know, just a good company doing good stuff in this low crude price environment. They're growing like crazy. Yeah, so I, I have to make, put these things in real dollars for, for our viewers and listeners because that's what makes sense to me. So the total general part, uh, the total general partner and limited partner distri distributions received by Tesoro were 38 million during the third quarter and 106 million year to date. This is an increase of 51 million dollars, over 93 percent versus last year. Yeah. So, so, so how is how is the oil industry suffering? <laughs> Midstream, downstream aren't. Yeah, they, they love this cheap crude price. Go where the money is, my friend. <laughs> go west, my friend, or wherever. Go down. Go downstream. All right. So, Lyondell, th this is a shout out to Ephraim Jernigan, who's retiring from there in two years. If you never listened to episode thirty-two point five, he has an awesome STEMS foundation on the south side of Houston that I'm honored to be a part of now, and but. Uh, not but, but maybe from his his great effort for the last 28 years because he retires in two years, Lyondell's doing pretty good. Yeah, so Lyondell Basel's a, a petrochemical company. That's the most profitable part of the industry right now. And so let me put this in perspective. So James talked about EBITDA. So Lyondell Basel has had 12 consecutive quarters. That's four yeah, years. Yeah, I saw that, 12 consecutive <laughs> of quarters. Of year-over-year growth. You know, once again, to your point, James, where's the, the bad stuff in the oil and gas industry? 12 consecutive quarters. 12. Yeah. So, you know, this is a good company. They're, they're a big organization. Uh, they were big when they were just lined up. And when Basel came about, they, you know, quadrupled in size. Um, this is a part of the industry. It's going to be hot for the next 10 years is petrochemicals. It's, it's a place we've actually brought most of our, or not most, all of our clients this year because they're growing like crazy. There's $85 billion in new petrochemical projects right in our backyard, James, in the Gulf Coast area. Um, you know, it, there's going to be CapEx construction for the next 20 years. They're hiring like crazy. They need every job you can imagine from HR people to IT people to operating, you know, managers and executives and, and welders and whatever. So people, if you're in the oil and gas industry, go look at downstream, specifically petrochemicals. And to put that into very specific terms, we're talking about everything that you are living your life with. The cell phone that you're using to listen to this or the laptop or desktop, the earbuds that, are, <laughs> that you're wearing, the shoes on your feet, everything that makes modern civilization the amazing, awesome time it is to live, that's what these guys make. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. Almost everything, it comes from oil and gas now. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to round it out with with a little engine that could in Murphy, USA. Yeah. So Murphy's doing well. Now, Mar Murphy's is, is a downstream company that does something different than what most downstream companies do here in the U.S. How so? Mur Mur Murphy actually owns the retail gas stations. So if you in the U.S., Exxon owns zero. That's zilch. Zero retail gas stations. Hmm. These be called company-owned retail or cores. And it was the least profitable part of their business. Chevron owns almost no gas stations. Shell owns none. Um, Shell owns are, none? Those are all yeah. retail shells. Those are all retail sales. It's the least profitable part of the business. Okay. What happens is it's a marketing thing. So Exxon will set some marketing guidelines. And if you're a gas station owner, um, 
you can um, sign a contract with them and abide by those guidelines, and then you're allowed to use Exxon from a marketing point of view because if people drive by, they know Exxon. They don't know Joe Bob's gas station. Right. So uh, Murphy, along with Valero, as far as I know, the only two in the U.S. that actually own the gas stations. Now, their their strategy is is different. They want to own the complete value chain from producing the gasoline to selling it. Uh, in the rest of the world, that works really well. So in the rest of the world, Exxon and their old subsidiary, Esso, uh, actually operate retail gas stations, just not here in the U.S. Here's a company that's trying to do something a little bit different. And they're, they're doing okay. They're not doing super great, but they're growing. Um, you know, their, their, their earnings are great. Um, their uh, cash flow is good. Um, and, you know, I think they just sold, I think they just, this is telling, I think they just sold all of their ethanol plants. <laughs> it's like, get as far away from the ethanol yeah, as you can. Get out of there. Get out of there. Yeah. But uh, they're doing good. I got to ask, though, any any theory on why it works well for Exxon to own places or own the the store internationally, but not in the U.S.? Yeah, because the margins are health, healthier. It's if, if a lot of places, there's state subsidies or government subsidies or there's rules. There's actually some places here in the U.S. like I can't remember somebody. We need a fact checker, but I think it's um, Oregon where the state law requires full service gas stations in the U S so you can't, that's actually, I can tell you where that is. I'm going to throw it in the show notes. It's New Jersey and Oregon. New Jersey's one, but also and Oregon, Oregon and Oregon, but I'm yeah. going to find, I'm going to find it because it's a fan. It's a fantastic episode or not episode, but skit um, back when whatever the, the, the guy from the wedding, whatever um, Ed Helms, when he was on the daily show six years ago or something, I'm going to find that and throw it in the show notes. Yeah, well, I have a story. I have a client in Oregon, and I was bringing my rental car back after meeting my client going to the airport, and I pull up in a gas station. I'm from Texas, so I get out and start pumping my gas, and this 20-year-old kid comes running up to me hollering, telling me how many jobs are created by not being able to pump your own gas. I'm thinking, I'm going to deck you, dude. <laughs> I just want to get out of here. But he, it was almost like it was religious for him, right? And so states like that where there's rules and regulations – um, the super majors can operate, and, and I should say states like that, but countries that have the type of rules and regulations where the, the operators, super majors can operate a retail gas station and make profit. Of course, they'll keep doing it. Just here in the U.S., it got to be so low profit, it wasn't even worth it. Interestingly enough, most gas stations in the U.S. are owned by somebody called a jobber, which is typically your neighbor. A retail gas station makes between thirty and forty thousand dollars profit per gas station on, on average. So you need to own, you know, two, three, four of them to make a decent living. And it's usually somebody who lives in your neighborhood. And and realistically, they're making their money on the liquor, just like the bar. Well, the gas is they almost break even on it. It's the concessions, it's the soft drinks, the liquor, the potato chips. That's where their real operating margins come from. Right. And and I'm gonna go ahead and and play a dirge because there are markets in, in the world that are more free than the ones in the U.S. that make it impossible for, for companies to, to do business here on that level. That's just annoying. Um, okay, well, uh, that concludes the, 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 the chunk of it in terms of our roundup. I have a few extras I'm going to throw in here, one from EvaluateEnergy.com. U.S. oil and gas company earnings take a huge hit in Q3 2015. Obviously, this is going to talk about the upside uh, upstream side of the house. But if you get confused about that, just rewind and listen to the last 20 minutes and right. keep it in perspective. And then we have another one um, from PwC midstream segment boost third quarter U.S. oil and gas deal activity. And then also uh, I threw in, I'm going to throw in here into the show notes, the slide share. I found this really great slide share doing the research for this, uh, trying to figure out which companies to pick and everything like that. Uh, some guy named uh, Prince Pat Patney and research uh, market research at uft but it's just a quick 
10 slides, gives you a really good breakdown on oil and gas, upstream, midstream, downstream, gives you a list of companies in each. And for anybody that's that's new to oil and gas or just wants to go a little bit deeper and understand the other segments that you weren't born into, this is a really great resource. And then on top of that, I'm going to throw in a horrible, horrible video by Mark LaCour. Tell him about it, Mark. Oh, dude, not that video. <laughs> We're going to do it. Come on. Okay, this is one of my first videos basically explaining the different segments in the industry, upstream, midstream, downstream service. The content is very valuable. It's content. you got to focus on the content. It's the most highest traffic video I have, but the technical quality is so horrible, I'm embarrassed. I want to take it down, but I can't because it's the most high traffic video I have. So and now you can because it's going, it's, it's being enshrined in this week in oil and gas for all yeah. eternity. It's three minutes and it talks you through upstream, midstream, downstream and service. So it's good, good information in there. And, and it's called oil and gas industry overview. And so um, instead of going to the show notes, if you would just want to go straight to that video, you can go to trybrocket.com forward slash overview trybrocket.com forward slash overview. You'll get great content from Mark with horrible production quality. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassingly horrible. All right. Onion of the week. You actually laughed at this one, Mark. Nation figured, every, uh, nation figured everything would run on some kind of cubes of blue energy by now. Yeah. And you know how much truth there is that, that there's people out there that have no idea where the electricity About comes from. About 99% true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes they, they, they expose their own ignorance and, and I had to take them up on the offer. So, all right, events, Esai Energy LLC, managing surplus crude oil liquids in NAFTA, but not NAFTA like the North American Free Trade Agreement. It's no, so, so go ahead, James. P-H-T-H-A, NAFTA, I should say. But go ahead. It, it's in your, it's in your uh, events, by the way, tribrocket.com forward slash events. You can get you know, put you in your email and once a month, Mark will send you all of the events happening around the globe. Cause I know we talk a lot about a lot of Houston events, but this one here is in Westminster, London, and he's got all of the events around the world. Yeah. So this is an event about what you do with oversupply. You know, how do you handle that? How do you price it? How do you make money? How do you work in those business environments? Um, you know, James and I talk about a lot of the events that are here because most of our audience is here, but because we have a large percentage of our audience in China that won't talk to us and let us know why they're listening, we may have to start trying to cover some events in China. <laughs> Not physically, please. Not physically. Not physically. I, I'm, I'm a little worried about that. Or Russia. Let's stay out of those places. <laughs> I think we might have a price on our head in both those places. But regardless, I was talking to you before we got on here, and this is a really timely issue because we – Sort of have an oversupply problem, do we oh, not? Oh, no, we do have an oversupply problem. In fact, there's a lot of money being frantically dumped into building storage depots and tanks because there's not enough supply for crude or natural gas. There, there's not enough storage supply, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And then major shout out to Eli and the family at Houston Tech, I'm sorry, Texas Classic Productions. They have the Houston Oilfield Expo coming up. It's next month, but we wanted to make sure to get in so that everybody can sign up. And it's actually tribrocket.com forward slash Houston Expo. But tell them about the actual event, Mark. All right. So first thing is, if you sign up for my newsletter, and I think James can stick up a link up here, you can actually go free if you're one of our listeners. See, I didn't say viewers, I said listeners. There you go. Um, this is a great event. This is not a conference. This is an expo. So I, I go. What is the difference? Much, what, how do you mean? A conference has speakers and tracks and everything. This is a, a group of people together, large group that want to do business. So I go to almost every one of these and I've seen over and over and over again. I've seen service company pick up operator clients. I've seen 
smaller service companies meet a larger service company, agree to work together. Um, I've seen um, you know operators go out and find vendors. Business is done on this floor. So if you're in the oil and gas industry and you're looking to grow your business, you need to go to this. It's in December here in Houston. It's the first time I think Eli and his gang have done one in Houston. Yeah, so I, I've known about this for a while. And I got to say, when I first heard about it, I was like, whoa, flop the, okay, yeah, show us what you got. Because that's a real big play to go with a with a major show in Houston in December. Yeah, it's um, Eli's not one to back down from a challenge, right? He has got a good, great organization. He puts on high-quality shows. He knows what he's doing. Um, but if, if you're in the oil and gas industry and you're looking to grow your business, damn well, you should go. And if you're trying to learn about the oil and gas, go, man. You get to meet all these people, have all these years of experience. You get to see all the new stuff. You actually get to touch it. Um, I know I'm going to be there this year and, and hopefully even get James here. Maybe we can even do a podcast on the show floor. Yeah, let's talk to Eli about that. And to clarify, when I said, whoa, that that's impressive, it's impressive because, well, first of all, it is a slightly gambling, but it's it's much more impressive because it's someone who saw a hole in a market and decided to fill it. I love it. Yep. Because th- you look at December, people, oh, you can never do that. Why not? Let's go you ahead do and it. do it. <laughs> Let's yeah. go ahead and do it. So, yeah, it's – go ahead. Go ahead, James. So, so James will put a link up, right? And yeah, just have it's a- tribrocket.com forward slash Houston Expo. And then then that will take you right where you can register for free, the link that you're talking about in your in your um in yeah, your, so in your, in your email. So audience, register and go. Register everybody. All right. Um, so other than that, let's see. Oh, iTunes. Yes, I almost forgot we did. Wait, let's it. go back to API Young Professionals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um yeah, so on, go. Um API, the American Petroleum Institute, is the largest uh, organization that represents the rights of the oil and gas industry to Congress. And we also set the standards for everything. I'm on the board of directors for the Houston chapter, and we stood up a young professionals group. So if you're in the oil and gas industry or thinking about getting the oil and gas industry, um, you need to join. It's either people that are 35 years of age or younger or five years or less of experience in the oil and gas industry, regardless of what you're. So I'm an oil field vet at this point is what you're trying to tell me. Yeah. So they're doing a, they're having a network social at the um, Okra charity saloon uh, here in Houston. Um, It's free. Um, James, you can stick up a link so people can go sign up for that, but go sign up, go meet your, your young. These are the future leaders of the oil field. Yeah. Great group of guys. All of this is, is linked up at tribracket.com forward slash TW 37 iTunes review from San Antonio dog. Informative five stars. I try to keep up with current events in the business as much as possible, but spend a lot of time on the road. Seems to be a recurring theme among our listeners. Yeah, it does. You guys uh, doing this podcast keeps me in conversation with information that I would not otherwise be in. Thank you. And so this actually sounds like a guy who's not reading behind the wheel, which we definitely encourage. Yes, please. Or discourage. (laughs) So. We had a previous uh, five star said, oh, I get the best of both worlds. I don't have to to read and drive. Um, so no drinking or reading and driving. Um, LinkedIn group I mentioned at the top, triberocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. Tell them about it, Mark. Yeah, if you listen to the podcast and you like it, or even if you don't like it, <laughs> um, why are you listening? But anyway, we have a, a companion to the podcast, which is our LinkedIn group. It's full of a bunch of people. It's growing like crazy. All of your peers in the oil and gas industry, a lot of good information is being shared. James has become very active um, answering questions. Stepping my game up, man. I got to step my game up. Yeah. Um, I need to do more of that myself, but you know, just a perfect place in this. If you want to engage with us, that's the place to do it. Yeah. You can ask questions if you, if you come across, because this is the thing, the, the real reason that I, I love the idea of the group is that everyone who's listening 
we're all coming across stories all week long. And so what better place to share them and start a conversation? Because if you put it on our radar, we, we probably need to talk about it if it's, if it's newsworthy. So all of those links you're sending to your buddies in email or putting them on Twitter or anything, not all of them, but you know, the, the ones that are, that are worth talking about, drop them in there. It's tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. And, and we'll just keep growing that community because we doubled it already. Yeah. And you know what, James, I, before we got on the show, I was actually on our group page and it, on, on LinkedIn on the right-hand side, it shows the circle snapshots of our group members. I'll tell, I'll tell this much. We have one of the best-looking groups of people Fine individuals. Fine yeah, individuals. Yeah, fine-looking individuals. And I have to apologize. I keep forgetting. I called Larry Shepstone. Actually, I called Tom Shepstone Larry. It was a major mistake. <laughs> I, I've, known, I've known Tom for a long time. And uh, that might have been one of the episodes where I didn't sleep the night before. So I'm just going to throw <laughs> myself under the bus on that one. Yeah, all good. All right, man. I think we've got uh, a lot of stuff to do because I've got a chili cook-off to get to. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm going to. Oh, man. I Light lunch. It's going to be a lot of chili for four hours straight. Shameless. Chili beer. And unfortunately, listeners, we'd invite you, but by the time you hear this, it'll be over with. It'll be over with. So hopefully you're on tribrecord.com forward slash events and you've got Mark's email and you're already, you're already uh, registered. All right, man. Let's get out of here. All right, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. This is great. We're recording a show when we have energy. (laughs) Especially me.